welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast are Tim, Nolan, and Doc Nyman. Tim is entering his 32nd season as the head coach at Sales University. He coached both his sons and both coached with him. Nolan is a 2005 DeSales graduate. He has had stops at every level of baseball coaching and also scouted professionally with the Texas Rangers. He's the general manager at Square Up Academy and head coach at Manatee High School. Doc is a 2011 DeSales grad and is in his second season as the head coach at Clarion University. Both boys were great players at DeSales, both played professionally, and both coached with Tim at their alma mater. It's another edition of the Father and Son series. We got a great response last year from the episodes that I want to continue to shine light on the unique stories we have in the baseball community. There's so many parallels between the Nyman family and my family. This episode hit me in a lot of different places, seeing their passion for the game and love for each other and the DeSales University program. We also discussed the March 6th car crash that took the lives of current DeSales player Sean Hanzarek, former Bulldog player Nick White, and his girlfriend Emily Katner. The crash left current player Brandon DiCiaccio in critical condition. Tim gives great advice on how to handle tragedy in your program. Let's welcome Tim, Nolan, and Doc Nyman to the podcast. Here with Tim Nyman, spoke on the main stage this year at the virtual and uh, 32nd season as head coach at DeSales University. Uh, Nolan told me you're 7-1 right now. I hadn't looked, so congrats on that. And then Nolan Nyman here, 2005 DeSales grad, general manager at Square Up Academy and head coach at Manatee High School. And Doc Nyman, 200, 2011 DeSales grad, second season at head coach at Clarion. I, you guys have a long history in the game, so... Uh, I will put that in the intro, but um, I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you, Ryan. It's a, really, really nice to be with you. We appreciate it. This, this kind of was born out of COVID last year with the father and son episodes. Uh, and, and I've had so many parents, uh, moms, dads reach out to me and thank me for this. So it's good to to do some more because there are some some father and son um, 
you know, duos and trios that I missed out on the first go around. So this has been awesome to kind of reconnect and redo these. So hopefully this is something that we can do every year. And um, again, I thank you guys for coming on. Tim, had you coached these guys at all before they got to, co to college in any setting? Uh, I did not. I, uh, I put them in the hands of their youth coaches. I basically would take a lawn chair or something and sit out behind the outfield and watch them play. Uh, as long as they were treated fairly, you know, I didn't have a problem with it. Um, and they were all the way up through. And then, you know, we we work individually at home, you know, um, trying to talk about the game. Sometimes, uh, you know, a little rougher than others, but uh, in terms of what happened. But, you know, we would work individually a lot. And then both of them, when they were little, we used to work in the backyard all the time. And, you know, before they uh, ever got to hit, they had to take 100, used to play pepper. So he used to take 100 ground balls or 100 backers before they uh, actually got a chance to hit a little bit. So uh, they both did that where you are. So I spent a lot of time with them individually. But up until college, uh, I did not coach them, though. And we, I get a lot of questions on that from the development piece. How did you handle that with them from the, the baseball development piece growing up? Was it, hey, you know, come to me if you want work, or were you out there actively, you know, helping them? How, how did that work from the development piece with them? Yeah, I mean, I would be very careful not to correct, you know, the coaches they were with. Uh, luckily, uh, they both played for Southern I High School and Todd Miller, who was a fifth round pick of the Boston Red Sox. So he had a pretty good, and he's a very good friend of mine. So I was very careful not to correct uh, the people they had. Maybe we would more make a discussion of what was going on. And, you know, luckily, fundamentally, they both were really sound, you know, so it was, it was more, it was more adjusting maybe, or talking about approaches as they got older, um, you know, what, how guys are trying to get them out, situational hitting, those kinds of things. So it was kind of a little easier for me. Um, but again, because because I think they were well along the line in terms of being able to play the game physically, you know, that helped a lot. So, but I was careful now, even through Little League. I didn't, as long as they were treated fairly again, Ryan, I didn't really get to the X's and O's. And if somebody would ask, I would talk to them. I mean, Doc played on a 10-year-old uh, all-star team that went to a state tournament in Pennsylvania. <laughs> And that was first when we moved into the community and uh, their coaches were, I think were a little, I don't know if all is the right word, but a little apprehensive, you know, to engage me. And, and uh, we become very good friends and I would talk to them about stuff that maybe they could, they could do, but only if I was asked. So same thing in our development. I didn't, you know, I kind of looked and watched the games and, and took them from there. Nolan and Doc, how much, you know, Tim said you guys were fundamentally sound. How much of that was you guys playing with each other in the backyard or, or doing stuff together? I think, I think it certainly helped. I mean, we're six years apart, so it was a little different. Um, for me, honestly, I think the majority of my development was being, you know, on campus with, with dad's teams growing up and being in the dugout, being at practice. And I remember taking, you know, IO when I was 10, 11 years old with his team, his college team. Uh, remember, you know, being in those practices and, um, you know, just being out there with those guys. I think that for me, that's where a lot of that development came through, through his camps and his practices and watching them play. And then, you know, Doc and I did play a lot in the backyard together and, and did a lot of things. But again, the age was a little bit farther apart. So at that time, you know, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm 12, he's six, a <laughs> little, little different. 
um, of what we could do. But uh, I mean, we were always playing and we had a great group of kids in, the, in the, our community we grew up in that always played baseball and hockey and basketball and football in the backyard and, and that sort of stuff. So I think that although the combination of all of that had, had really helped me at least. Doc, what about your viewpoint on that? I agree. Um, you know, I, I got more into the travel ball. I know travel ball really wasn't probably around as much when Nolan was there. I know he went to Puerto Rico with the, the one all-star team. And I think dad, you went with them. Um, but I had, you know, more of an experience from, from the travel ball side of things, but definitely still like Nolan said, going off of, you know, being at IO and, and practices at the sales. And I used to go to Nolan's high school practices when I was, you know, in elementary school, just to be around and be involved in the game. So I think that really just put, you know, the game in perspective, even too, just from a, for me being younger, like Nolan said, five, six years apart and being around the college guys, you get to kind of see it from an all different angles. And uh, I think that just really helped it around being with older competition and, and older guys and, and just kind of going about your business and, and playing the game. So I think that really helped us all. Do you feel like that developed your, your guys' passions for baseball was being around your dad's players? I think oh, so. I, I think so. I think just being around it and, you know, it, it's not, you know, we, we were lucky that we had places to always go and, and do things, whether it was a camp, you know, in the wintertime or in the summer or, uh, again, a, an evening practice or whatever it may be. You know, we knew we were going to go be around the game. And I think that just grew that love for it and that we continue to do. And that's something that we constantly preach to my guys here is the love for the game. You know, we want them to love it as much as as my, me and my staff do. And I think that just grew through us when we were younger. It's special now, though, when you when you get around a player now that really has passion for baseball, you don't see it as much like th those are outliers now. Hopefully we can bring some of that back, but they don't they don't watch as much baseball now. So there there's not a, that passion that I think we all grew up with, with hopefully we can start to bring some of that back. Tim, how was the recruiting process? I mean, was it a slam dunk that they were going to come play for you or did, were they looking at other schools? How was that process? Uh, Nolan, Nolan actually uh, spent his first semester at Flagler in St. Augustine. So I didn't get too crazy with either one. They knew they had a place to play. Obviously, uh, you know, I wanted them to play for me, but I didn't want to stand in the way of whatever else was going on. I know both of them had some, some inquiries of some other things, and Nolan wanted to get away, and he went to Flagler. And uh, Nolan was a little bit of a late bloomer physically, so I think you know, had he stuck at Flagler, he'd probably have been just fine. But I know um, he was a little behind, I thought, physically. And, um, you know, ended up switching in the in the spring semester, which, you know, made, made Dad very happy, obviously, and made our team better. And Doc was kind of more of a – he might have been more of a slam dunk, I guess. I don't know. He, uh, you know, it was uh, – you know, and the catching thing's a commodity, as you know, <laughs> having good players and good catchers. But he um, – I think it was a little easier for him to just come to the sales. And by then we were very well established and, you know, as a program that could play and I always tell kids don't evaluate by division out, evaluate the program. You know, I think uh, we kind of a, resemble a division one school to division three university, which kind of is the best of both worlds sometimes. So a little two different paths, but, you know, it made me very happy. They both were extremely successful. Nolan, was that a little grass, grass is greener on the other side piece there maybe because you want to go away and then you figure out I got a pretty good option back home? No, you know, I don't, um, you know, it, maybe a little bit of it. I mean, I think for me more it was, you know, 
we grew up in the town. The sales is in our high school, literally across the street. Um, you know, I had some different offers in different spots and, um, you know, it was always kind of, uh, on my own and do my own thing kind of, you know, from baseball standpoint and even with my coaching career, just get up and go and take opportunities. And, you know, it was a great opportunity to play for a guy that Dave Barnett, who I still very close to today and, and good friends with, and he's, you know, one of my mentors and, um, you know, get a couple other options at, you know, different other States and just kind of, you know, all right, let's, let's see what's out there. And then, um, you know, I had never planned on going back to the sales and, you know, Flagler was a good experience. I'm glad I did it. Um, ended up, you know, had a little bit of an injury bug with some knee stuff going on. And um, just the, the fit wasn't great from a support system on the backside for me that I wanted as a, as a student on that side of it. So, you know, went back and then played for dad and best decision I made. I mean, it was three and a half years and, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't change for the world. There's so many parallels between your family and my family because Memorial High School is right next to the University of Evansville. Brother plays for brother and dad. Doc, was it easier for you then to make that decision or harder for you to make that decision because Nolan had played for your dad? Um, I would say it was pretty easy. I mean, honestly, it was probably more my grades that held me back and and made me come to come to dad. I was not the greatest student. Um you know, and I think, you know, and we had discussions. I think Nolan actually took me on one of my only visits, and that was down to VMI uh, for a guy that's a pretty good friend of all of ours, and Coach Eikenberry, who's now at JMU. Um, but, you know, same thing, I had a lot of other offers. Actually, you know, I was really kind of set on and I had a dream of, of going to St. John's, and that was, you know, Dad had taken me up there a couple times and did some stuff up there. But, you know, at the end of the day, I knew it was the best fit for me academically. Um and baseball wise, I knew I'd have a chance to play right away. Um, I was, I was a guy I, I could play a little bit of outfield too, and, and some infield. Uh, but catching was my love, and that's kind of where I knew I'd have the best fit to, to do that at. And I was at, you know, for dad back home, so it was a little bit easier from that standpoint. And Tim, how much is that finding the right academic fit? I just think that's such an important piece to all of this that is getting lost in the shuffle in the recruiting process right now with kids and parents is the academic piece to all of this. Well, yeah, you hit the nail right in the head, Ryan. It's uh, it's sad. There's a lot of uh, misinformation, I think, you know, from the travel programs and, and people like that. Other, you know, there's some that do it very, very well. Don't get me wrong, but there's some that are just doing it so they can put a name in a school on a website. Uh, I speak to kids and groups a lot about uh, five fits, and I'll try to do it very quickly because I can do an hour. And I think they have to go in this order. It's an academic fit first. First, Now, for a 17-year-old, it can be hard to, hard to realize what, what it is you want to do. But I think, for the most part, kids have some semblance of what they want to be when they grow up. So it has to be an academic fit first. For instance, if you want engineering, you know, the sales would not be a fit. We don't have it. So the search stops, stops then. All right. So maybe we have your major next is a social fit. You know, big school, little school, you know, 100,000 people at a football game on five Saturdays in the fall or, you know, 300 people in your English class or 30. Um, doesn't matter to you. And at the end of the day, your baseball family is what you're left with anyway, no matter what the size of the school. That's secondly. Uh, third, can we afford it? <laughs> you know, can we afford it? Got my major. You know, I uh, like the school. I could see myself here. Now it comes down to finances. Is it financial aid? Is it, 
you know, you get some scholarship money and people really don't still understand the scholarship setup in all divisions. They don't. And a lot of times in division three, there's more not pay back money on the field than there would be at, uh, you know, at a one or a two. So that's three, four athletic fit. That's fourth. Has to, and it has to go on this order because 95% of the people are in this category. The really elite kids, they don't have to worry about it. They're probably making a baseball decision only, but it's an athletic fit. You know, does a coach want me? How do I know? I've emailed him five times. Hasn't gone back to me. Uh, maybe you should have stopped after the second one. I, you know, it amazes me how many videos go out that somebody thought that was okay to send. I mean, and I, I don't, I don't hold everything to video. It's not an end all, but some come out it's like, wow, what, what are we thinking? You know, so that comes out. And the last one I, I came up with is an emotional fit, and this is more for the parents because of the travel climate. You know, my son, Johnny, played shortstop and batted third since he's in 10th grade in high school. And I would say, well, that's great. So did everybody else here, you know. And as we know, 7% of high school kids play in college. So the question then emotionally is, mom and dad, how are you going to handle it when little Johnny's not in the lineup? And there's a man in front of him that's 21 or 22 years old, maybe even 23, with all the uh, eligibility requirements going on now. That's, there's a man in front of him, and little Johnny knows that, you know, I'll get my chance. And the better the program, the more difficult that is. But he knows, but after the game's going to go over, you're going to go out to eat with Johnny and Johnny, and dad's going to say, you know, Nyman doesn't know what he's talking about. You should be in the lineup. And Johnny's going to nod and yield because you're his mom and dad. But deep down, Johnny knows that there's a man in front of me. You know, now that being said, you know, I don't ask for their birth certificate when it comes time to make a lineup. Nowhere in a card does it say date of birth. So there's always opportunity and you earn your playing time. But those are the fits and from a recruiting standpoint. And like I said, I at least 95%, maybe more fit right into that. And what you don't want to do is go through that again. You don't want to do through it again. I mean, that, that is stressful and painful sometimes. And, you know, you, I mean, I get some, I have a division one transfer now just wasn't happy where he was at. And I understand that, but something in that five fit was out of whack, you know, and you, you've got to be happy at the end of the day. So, you know, that's kind of, and, and I get it. I mean, it's the uh, travel guys. Again, there's some really, really good guys that, that understand that are looking to fit their kids where they go, but some of them don't. And uh, that's sad. I mean, they need to try to understand. And, I'm, and other things important, and I'll get off of this quickly, but another thing's important is have go see a team play. Go see a practice. I mean, you know, Doc's got some players. Nolan, the school he was at, there are some players. That's you why know, I'm trying got, to do some of the on-campus pregame stuff right now yeah. with the video is so people can actually see that. And I, I try to recommend that. To, there's so many good schools in your area. Wherever you're at, there's going to be good schools at every level. Go watch them practice. Go watch them pregame. Go watch a game, but really go watch how the coaches and the players interact with each other in, in the training environment more than anything. That That's a tough thing with not as many camps now. Uh, with the winter camp, it used to be great with winter camp stuff because kids could see how coaches coach guys, how they're going to interact with you in that, that setting. 
Nolan, hey, what were some of the tips that you gave Doc as far as playing for your dad? Um, were there any conversations in, through the recruiting process, like here, here's what to expect? But then he also had to play for you too, which is something that nobody's had to go through except for a few of us. So talk a little bit about that. Um, no, I wouldn't say more tip-wise. I mean, and, and Doc was good. And, you know, he came into a situation where you know, he was able to to be the guy behind the plate, and he deserved to be the guy behind the plate. So, you know, having that prowess of, of being back there and kind of controlling things, and you know, he, so he was he was a step above your your normal freshman catcher for sure. Um, you know, we got into it a few times, just like you and your brother did, I'm sure. And you know, it's uh, it was good though. It was all competitiveness, like you know, Doc was saying earlier. And, you know, those things are good. I mean, playing for dad, playing for dad really wasn't hard. Um, you know, there was times him and I got, uh, you know, emotional and got into it a few times, but, you know, it was all warranted at the end of it and looking back, you know, in situations you might not even know of. Um, I know he spoke about a situation in, you know, in our presentation about, you know, in the locker room, but, you know, what he probably doesn't know is the reason that all happened. You know, I dropped like four balls on double play turns, like in a row. He was all pissed, and but he didn't know I had a broken finger. <laughs> but I'm never going to tell him that. You know, so stuff like that is is there. Um, you know, take stuff with a grain of salt. And, you know, you want you want dad to yell at you just like everybody else because you don't want the favoritism. You Doc wanted me to yell at him like everybody else. And, you know, if you can do that, you know, it's coming from a good place and it's not above and beyond. And, you know, he, um, he handled it well. I mean, it was, you know, he probably saw me going through it. So it was a little bit easier on him to know how to navigate those waters a little bit, but, you know, I think it's harder um, for me, it was harder playing for, you know, um, the assistant coaches. I mean, they were, they were demanding and guys that I knew my whole life, you know, I looked at them as big brothers, uncles, whatever. And those guys were, were a lot harder sometimes. So and I think Doc's probably in the same boat. Doc, how are the challenges they're handling with your teammates? Any, any, you know, because you're going to be with them in the apartments and the dorms. Any, any issues as far as okay, your coach, you're playing for your dad and your brother. Any issues, you know, behind the scenes with the team? Uh, not really. Um, you know, like Nolan said, it was definitely tough at times, but but Dad kept us, you know, in line. And and if we deserved it, we, you know, we, he got on us, and and rightfully so. You know, and that's. Like Nolan said, that's what we we both expected. You know, we didn't we didn't want the favoritism. Um, there was times I told Dad, like, don't play me. You know, I had a bad first game of doubleheader. Like, my head was a mess. I was I was ticked off. Like, don't play me because I'm not in a good spot to help this team win. And I think Nolan was probably in the same boat. Like, we just want – that's what we wanted. We knew the success of the program. We knew what we wanted to do. And, you know, we were willing – I was at least to, to give up my spot to, to help the team better because – I was not ready to, to perform those days. Um, and that's not me being, you know, a coward. It's just, I wasn't a good spot, you know, so nothing really from the guys though. Um, you know, uh, again, the, the program there speaks for itself. We're all there to, to do the same thing and win. So if you can play, you, you're going to get the opportunity. Like dad said, you're, there's no birth certificate. Um, we had a couple freshmen start. I know my freshman year along with me, some really good arms and, you know, a couple of kids in the outfield and, you know, we, we won, and that's why we were successful, and that's why they continue to be successful. Tim, what were some of those challenges then for you? I mean, it's it, trying to separate family and, and writing a lineup. Those are all issues that you're going to have when you, you're coaching your sons. You know, how did you handle that? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think, you know, to be able to compartmentalize some things is, is critical. And I, 
And I think I did that fairly well, especially game days, you know, where like, all right, what's the best lineup today to help us win? Um, and, you know, luckily they never had to justify either one of them playing. There's, in fact, Nolan didn't play much when he transferred some, but not a whole lot. Um, but, you know, when his opportunity came, he took it over. So luckily, again, I didn't have to justify their playing time. Um, and, and you know, no one then Doc beat it on the nail. I mean, just tried not to show anything different to them than anybody else on the club. And in, a, in that story about, you know, one of my assistant coaches saying, hey, you're treating him differently. And I wasn't aware of that. And thank God he, you know, had, to, had the audacity to come and tell me because some guys wouldn't. Um, so that changed my whole thinking at the time. And let's face it, you know, when I was, you know, we were in a World Series in 03, you know, so I'm still, you know, a young pup. <laughs> I'm still about in my early 40s. And, you know, still like, all right, winning was like, and I'm sure we'll talk about some other things later, but winning, you know, was still kind of at the forefront more than it needed to be at that time, you know, and I'm still like the win. It cures a lot of problems, but and that put put it in more in perspective for me for handling them. And, and Doc was a lot easier. And But they played with some really good players around them, too. So I think they they all held themselves accountable. So I didn't have to do as much as one might seem. Um, but it was very enjoyable, and I was very blessed to have both of them with me. How was that conversation? So your assistant comes to you, says, hey, you're being a lot tougher on Nolan than you are on the rest of the team. So how's that conversation go then with Nolan? Well, you know, as I said in the ABC presentation, he came to me and it was after practice. It's one of those indoor things where the walls close in pretty quickly, you know, probably three or four weeks in and we're running picks and rundowns and bunk coverages, you know, all, all the little stuff that Northern teams are pretty good at because we're, we're inside. You get cabin you know? fever though. It oh. seemed like oh. until oh. you have to coach, like you don't realize as a player, like it's just as hard on the coaches when you're inside and you haven't been out on the field and everybody gets stir crazy. You're probably running first and third situations or bunt situations. And there's going to be a snowball fight at some point. So go, sorry, go back. It's just, no, it's awful. And it, it, it and I, you know what, I'm really, really aware of that. I get back to the story quick, but I'm really aware of that over the years now that I know, you know, after about two weeks or so, if you, you can't start mixing it up every day, a day off might be better than actually trying to force something. So anyway, it was one of those, probably a good four weeks in. And uh, Dick Ludy was the assistant coach, older than me, good mentor, great baseball guy. And he just came in and he was adamant in, in me. He was in me. He goes, hey, you're treating your son differently than anybody else. That's not right. And it just dawned on me. It's like, you know what? He's correct. And I went looking for Nolan and I found Nolan in the locker room. He was crying and said, I don't know if that, if I can do this anymore. And, you know, that hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, man, that's not what this is about. No way. I mean, not only is it baseball with the team, but this is my son that, you know, I, I'm treating him differently. So I think from that day on, it got, you know, a little more understanding, you know, of, of him and, uh, you know, how I was going about things. So when it got to Doc, it's sort of a lot easier. Now they're both different personalities. No one was over for four last four days. 
Doc would go over for last about four minutes. So they both were a little, they were a little bit different. Sometimes. I think that's a but, younger one. Honestly, my brother, cool. same thing. He, it would wear on him if he wasn't doing well. And I had a really short memory as far as bad performances. I probably played a lot worse than I thought at times, but I just wouldn't, I would flow right through it. My mom, tells those stories all the time of the car rides home from a little league where my brother would have a great game, but, but throw a ball away. And that's all he'd talk about. And I would have had four strikeouts and I would have mentioned the one good thing I did that day. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's unique, the, the whole personality doc and, and Nolan talk about the differences between playing for your dad and then coaching with your dad. Well, I mean, I mean yeah, I mean, the expectation set is always there, you know, and I think that was, one of the reasons I wanted to come back and coach there after, you know, I left Penn was um, to keep that expectation going, Um, you know, and that it just, that's something that, you know, being around that program and growing up there and then playing there and you hold that, that stuff close to you, you know, and you really want to make that continue and, you know, to go back and be able to, you know, win again and get them back to a championship and get them back to a regional was something that, you know, I, I wanted that to happen, um, you know, and putting those processes, those plans, those intricacies in that we had when we were there playing and then, all right, hey, this is what it's supposed to be. Why it wasn't for whatever reason, you know, things changed, things happened, but, you know, going back. So, I mean, it was great coaching. I mean, I remember the first day of practice, you know, we had this simple rule, you know, everybody wears a blue t-shirt, blue belt, you know, blue socks, blue hat, whatever it was. And, you know, um, come down and I was all fired up because there's like half the team was in red belts and just, you know, little things that, you know, the details that matter to me and I know don't win games, but they, they help the program move forward. And, uh, you know, so I was fired up and yelled at him, whatever. And then dad came down and he's like, what can I do to help? And I was like, stay out of my way. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and you think he sat in a dugout and watched for two and a half hours. And then, you know, practice was over. He's like, great job. See you tomorrow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but those, those understandings of, you know, what you want from the program and want to succeed and be there and be successful and hold those, um, you know, again, expectations to everybody else, those standards to keep moving forward is, is huge, you know, and we were on the same page with that from day one. And I think that really helped and, you know, learned a lot from him, obviously behind the scenes and, and how to run things in the office um, as well as, you know, coach call Penn when I was there and then helped me, move everything forward in my career. And that's one of the things I pride myself on is being detail oriented, you know, because of those two guys. Doc, what about you? Yeah, I was definitely probably more of a hothead coaching than I was a player. Um, But again, I think it goes back to the expectations, like Nolan said, and and what we tried to do as a program. And, um, you know, we were, we won a championship my sophomore year when I was playing um, and we had all been there. No one been to a World Series and, and won four straight conference championships or whatever it was. And and that's what we expected our, these guys to do under our belts as well. Um, you know, so playing for for both of them was obviously outstanding, and it was great to have them both there. And and no one moved on to a, a better uh, opportunity. And after my sophomore year, but um, you know, playing throughout it. Uh, you know, they definitely gave us our freedom, you know, both playing and coaching, um, you know, from a coaching standpoint, had an opportunity to work with the hitters and, and catchers a lot and, and do what I love and coach their base. But I also wasn't around where Nolan probably spent more time in the office learning behind the scenes. I, I worked on the side a lot. So, um, 
you know, I was kind of juggling myself back and forth between jobs and baseball, but I think that also made me get more love for it too and be involved with it because I didn't get to spend every single day being in the office and learning the odds and ends. So, you know, I spent my heart and, and, and my blood and sweat on the, on the field uh, with the guys every single day. And that's what I enjoyed more from it. Um, but he gave us our freedom and, um, you know, allowed me to coach their base and put signs on. And sometimes I get them from him and, and mess them up because he'd be, you know, pulling his ear and he just had an itch or something, you know, and it was the wrong sign. But, you know, at the end of the day, we go back and you get to talk about it and, and you learn, you know, and that's, that's the best part about it is, you know, we got to learn from one of the best. And I think that's something that we continue to do every single day, even in our jobs right now is it's great, you know, talking to Nolan about, about players and, and then going back and, and, Hey dad, what do you think about this kid? Who's a prospect for us maybe. And, you know, it's like, you can have him or, you know, if he doesn't work out for you, send him to him, you know? So I think that's what keeps it fun right now too. And in, in the setting as well, but, you know, we're always learning no matter what we're doing, whether we were playing or coaching for him uh, and with him or, you know, now in our own separate roles, we're, we're always learning this game. And I think that's the best thing that we can take from it. Tim, this is a common theme with all of these. During that time where they either coached their sons or their sons coached with them was one of the most successful periods in, in that program's history. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's because – players see more of that family side or I don't know I think maybe you sacrifice maybe a little bit more because you're you're with your family members why do you feel like that is well, I think there's um, an easy transition obviously because of having played and then going to coach I don't think you, you don't have that time to kind of adjust and you know I've, I've had a lot of coaches come in and go on, on to other places and a lot of young guys will come in with their ideas and what they've known and stuff so I was listening and implement and and do what I got it. You know, I'll listen. And some of them don't make any sense to me. And you don't want to reinvent the wheel that, you know, that has rolled on for many years. But the same token, I think you have to be aware of and help them along their careers. And and the same with Nolan and Doc, you know, I, I've given all my guys some leeway. Uh, you know, I think my job is to move my players along as well as the coaches. And um, but having having them with me, just again, the transition you know, it was, it was really seamless. And again, no one is very detail oriented. I'm much more of a forward thinker, big picture person than I am details, just the way it is. I mean, and in the games, I think that's helped me where it's a second inning, I'm already in a sixth. And I mean, that sort of thing. But, and Doc is, I think, a mixture of both. You know, I think he's a little bit of both. But both are so far ahead of me at this age when I was there in their age that, you know, it's not even close. But, um, but easier, and I think the family thing. I mean, one of the things we've, you know, cherished over the years at the sales is, you know, being a family, and we're, you know, the parents, the players, um, the alumni, the support is amazing. Up and down, it's not unusual for us to, you know, go to a spring trip to San Antonio and have more people at the games than the home teams do, you know. So, but that's that's part of that family thing, and. And uh, Nolan and Doc both perpetuate that still today into younger alums, older alums, and the connections are crazy. So it all transfers eventually back onto the field and back out. And uh, that's been very nice. Did you have more fun coaching them or coaching with them? Coaching them. Yeah, <laughs> definitely more fun coaching them. You know, and again, they were one of 30 or so, you know, uh, coaching with them. Those conversations of what they wanted to do or thought was good, sometimes uh, 
that tone was a little different than I would with a grad assistant or, you know, somebody else, you know, uh, there's where the family blood uh, kind of, no, I wouldn't say it boiled over, but <laughs> it's kind of bubbled a little bit sometimes. Like, you know, what are you thinking? What are you talking about? Like, okay, I don't know anything, right? I don't know anything. I always said, it's amazing how smart you will become as your kids get older, like in that teenage year, 14 to 21 to two I'm going three. through it right now. I have a 15, hey, you don't know nothing. You don't know nothing. But you, you, you will be the smartest guy on earth in about 25. It kind of turns like you know my dad's pretty good right now. Nah, and that was the same way with those guys. <laughs> Nolan and Doc, you know your time. How, how much did that prepare you then for that that next step? And what were some of the tips maybe your dad gave you as far as going to coach for somebody else? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I, I graduated and, and, you know, started coaching at Penn right away. Um, and being with John was, was a great experience because he's detailed to the T, I mean, to the nines. I mean, so learning some of that part of it and, and not <clears throat> being with that, because all I've ever saw was that, you know, obviously other than my one semester at Flagler. So, being with John helped out a lot, understanding where dad was coming from to make that transition for me a lot easier going back with him. And then, you know, after that, he's always been very supportive of me. And, hey, if you feel like it's a job you need to take, take it. You know, and, and I've been very fortunate to have um, a lot of different stops on my <clears throat> on my trek, but they've all been really, really good in a lot of different ways for a lot of reasons. Um, I can't say I regret or have any bad stops uh, along that trek. So, you know, it's made me who I am and it's, you know, brought me to my wife and my family and the opportunities I've had. And, you know, I've been to some unbelievable places because of it, just like, just like you were and, you know, played at stadiums and coached at stadiums, never thought I'd ever see or be at. And, um, you know, that the support from dad has always been there. Hey, take it, go, you know, and, and if you feel like you want to do it, do it. Um, you know, that's been really good. So I definitely appreciate that. Yeah, I would say very similar. Um, although dad was always trying to get me to come back every time I left. So I, don't, <laughs> I don't know what that's all about. But um, no, it, it really is good. And, and, you know, I agree with Nolan. And, and my path was different. Um, you know, I tried the pro ball route, which Nolan had an opportunity to as well. But I focused, you know, Right away, I gave myself about a year and a half to, to really focus with that, where no one got right into coaching. And then I, you know, I tried the, the, the pro ball route and, and had an opportunity to. And uh, uh, dad's got a dog on this. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I did that. And then I, I went into to the working field a little bit. And, and I had a good opportunity where I worked at a, at a sporting goods store for uh, a long time since I was, you know, 15 years old. And, um, gave me a good opportunity to to do that. And I think that the reason I did that is I kind of saw sometimes how Nolan uh, was treated as a coach, you know, from some of the guys that he had played with. Um, and I think that kind of, you know, just just opened my eyes a little bit. And he did a great job. But I know some guys can look at you differently and, and think, well, why is he making us do this when, when um, you know, he didn't do this. So – I kind of, you know, went that route first. And then, uh, and actually that's what really helped me is I missed it. I missed the game. I was always around. I'd still be around with dad. I was living at home and, and still playing, you know, some ball, but I missed the game. I missed being around and I missed being uh, on the field with the guys. And that's what drove me back to, to get my career started at the college level with, with that as an assistant, you know, and then again, I, 
it was one day and uh, just made that opportunity to, to go down south and, and left to go to a, you know, for a volunteer job at Erskine College down in South Carolina. And uh, probably one of the hardest choices I made and, um, you know, was just not a good fit for me at the, at the end of the day. But, you know, I stuck through and I learned a lot down there and that helped me to where I am now. And if I didn't go there, I wouldn't be where I am now. Um, but the support, like, like Nolan said, has been outstanding for us um, no matter where we're at. Um, you know, talking through things and, and you know, well, why do you want to go here? Or what, what's there? Um, like I said, he, st he still tries to get me to come back sometimes. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, he does know that there were some bigger opportunities for me. And, um, you know, I had to kind of make a name for myself at the same time. No, is that your biggest adjustment going from playing to coaching was your coaching guys that you played with? Yeah, um, you know, having the year away certainly helped. Um, but there was still a couple there and I remember, you know, we're in fall practice and, um, I yelled at one of the senior pitchers cause they screwed up some bump coverages. And I was like, dude, you're senior, like not, what are you doing? And, um, you know, that I talked to him afterwards and he's like, Hey man, I'm like, you're right. Like, I'm sorry. You know, and, um, that hit home a little bit, but other than that, I mean, I think, you know, the fact that, you know, doc and I were both good players and, and had accolades around us and had opportunities to do other things. It's not like it was, you know, we were the third string guy, never played, and all of a sudden started coaching, didn't know what we were talking about. So I think those things helped us um, with that separation. But, yeah, like always, you know, it's, it's hard when you do have a guy that you played with. And, um, you know, I felt like I did a pretty good job of, of separating that. And, you know, when we were away from the field, they were still my friends and teammates. But when it was baseball time and on campus, they knew, they knew what it was. And, um, you know, but it's definitely hard. You know, and even as you get older, it's hard, you know, and um, but those relationships and if you do a good job building them and, and setting those tones and, you know, defining those lines, it's it's easy to kind of get through it. Doc, you're interim at Clarion. How did you handle the interim tag there? You know, you, you go, you're an assistant, then you go to head coach interim. How was that being an interim? And then you go to full time. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you very much. Um. It was a uh, it was a unique situation and how it happened. Um, obviously, Anthony Williams, who was a previous head coach and a good friend of mine, and actually Nolan knows him pretty well too from from uh, being on the the Maryland circuit, I guess a little bit. But um, you know, I think very similar to Nolan, like he was just talking about the relationships. Is when you're an assistant coach, a lot of times you're you're the go-to guy. You know, if if coach is mad at you or you need someone to talk to, you're the go-to guy. And, um, you know, that was definitely me. We have a very, very uh, close-knit group, and that's something that I know Dad talks about a lot, and even knowing is chemistry and culture and something you can't teach. Um, and we definitely have that here, and it's, it's very unique in how close these guys really are. But, you know, sliding over in that role, the, the hardest thing to do is when, when you are, you know, the head coach and you have to lay your foot down right away is, um, you know, they get on, you, they look at you like, whoa. You know, last year you were, you were my dude and my buddy, and now all of a sudden, you know, you're getting on me. And I think find that that separation and but that trust at the same time and, and respect. And I think that's something that I gained early from these guys was the respect from them uh, when I was an assistant. One, just showing that I understand the game, that I know the game, um, and that I'm going to be there for them at the end of the day because, uh, like we always talk about, it's just a game. It's just a baseball game. At the end of the day, we have life to go on and everything like that. And there's things outside of baseball that are more important sometimes. So I think showing them that right away as a, as an assistant made the transition a lot easier for me. 
uh, the support system that we have here at Clarion is outstanding and they do a, such a good job of, you know, helping us out on a day to day basis. Um, you know, and then obviously once everything was said and done this past summer uh, and getting that tag removed, it's just been it's been smooth sailing from us from this standpoint and uh, just continuing to do what we do out here and, and, and try to continue to build this program. No, and you're on the scouting side for a little bit. For any coaches that maybe haven't entertained that or are entertaining that, what's the biggest difference between scouting and coaching? Well, just not being on the field. I mean, it's, you know, as a coach, you're recruiting, which is, is scouting to a T. Um, but you don't get the chance to have that relationship with them after you see them play or recruit them or get them to come to you. Um, it's very much more of, you know, a numbers game on the backside. And okay, here it is. It's I'm going to go find a guy or get sent to go see a guy and then write your report and he's out of your hands unless you see him again or, you know, gets back, gets sent back out. So, you know, it's not that personal relationship that the coach has. And I think at the end of the day, that's, that's what drives us as coaches is those relationships. And, you know, and I always said, it, you know, every school I was at and dad said, it, you know, it's not a four-year decision. It's a 40-year decision, you know, and you want guys to be a part of that program for their entire lives and their family and their lives. And, you know, not just the three or four years they play for you. Um, you know, you don't get that with scouting, at least in my mind. I, mean, I know some guys do a better job than others, but it just wasn't uh, for me, it wasn't the, the personal relationship and development that I like. So. Well, cause at some point they're probably going to get released. Uh, for me, that would be the hardest yeah. part with, with scouting is you're signing guys and then they may be done in, in two years. And so you just, and you, you're not on the field with them. Like, like that's the biggest separator for me is you're not in the dugout. You're not in the cages. Um, be interesting to see if an organization ever wanted to kind of switch that a little bit where, there's more streamlining with the scouting and player development side. Tim, you said it, and you know, in the the virtual, you're required to share in the burden of others, and you know, you guys had your your car crash, and I do want to talk about that a little bit. So, for anybody maybe listening in that that doesn't know exactly what happened here a, a while ago, you want to go into that a little bit. All right, Ryan. Uh, yeah, this is March the sixth was the date, so. Um, very uh, tragic, devastating, overwhelming uh, accident, not too far from campus actually, and uh, lost a former player, um, a 2019 grad, Nick White, his girlfriend, Emily Kantner, and one of my current players, Sean Anzarek, who was a senior catcher. And uh, we also had another one of our current players, Brandon DeChacho, who uh, survived and is in critical condition in the Leah Valley Health Network's uh, hospital and is improving. So, yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> when I spoke about that in January, I didn't have any notion or concept of, well, that's what that, I mean, I don't, I can't think of a more severe circumstance than what this is going through right now. So, um, but I go back to uh, the program and the family and the community and the sales community and the baseball community at large, the support has been amazing. And without that, I'm not sure I would have made it. Um, and I know the kids really, really needed it. And it was tough for, you know, that first week, oh my, you know, I got a call 11 o'clock at night and I'm over at the hospital till two in the morning, didn't get home before. 
back up at seven. There was a mass in the afternoon Sunday, all kinds of things. And we just had the funeral for Sean this past week. So it, it's, uh, yeah, it was, it's quite interesting. And, you know, there's no, it's not a coaching manual anywhere. Nowhere you're going to flip the page and how do I handle this? So you do what you think is right. You do your best, you know, to, to help those kids along. And my, I've always said it now, since all this happened, everybody's reaching out to me and I really appreciate it and love the support. I need it. But um, I, I respond usually by, you know, we're finding our way. We, we must find that way. And if the kids are okay, I'm okay. You know, it's really their health and well-being. And they've been through the ringer. It's been really, really difficult. But, you know, we move on. I always say the good Lord puts eyes in front of our head to see where we're going. And it's tough right now. Um, and it's tough to get them out of where they were. But uh, the tributes and, you know, just the other teams we play have been terrific. And I think that'll continue. And our kids have been courageous. I mean, they are courageous and resilient. Um, but I know they're hurting deep down. How did you communicate then on the front end? So as soon as this happens, did you text? Do you have a team meeting? How did you communicate that with them? Well, that's a good question. So again, I don't know what to do really. I mean, I go to the hospital. I was half the team was there, a bunch of the girlfriends and that sort of thing. So I was there for several hours. I got a phone call from one of my players. That's how it all started two and a half hours later. And then the families started to show up and I'm thinking this emergency room is probably not a great setting for a lot of people at this time because I sort of knew what was going on. So um, I got all our players and their girlfriends and stuff and got all hold all the players that weren't involved. And we got them back to the gym, Bolero Hall, and just were together there for a while and just kind of shared what was what was um, what we sort of knew at the time. Um, so most of it, I, I'm a delegator, you know, I, I think giving people responsibility and is, is something that they, uh, you'd be surprised who rises up, you know, in the time of need. So I kind of started that way. And then we're in the gym till two or three in the morning, Father Greenfield, our president, we got a call campus police and he got a hold of them. So a lot of administrators came as well in the wee hours in the morning. So they've been amazing. And then since then, it's, you know, you, you name it, it's, it's phone calls, it's texts, it's, um, you know, emails, um, you, you name it. It's been, it's been crazy. And, but, you know, you know, it's something that's not going away. It's something that needs to be dealt with. Um, and trying to, you know, we're never going to forget these kids, you know, ever. Our uh, main focus now is the recovery of Brandon. And I think he's going to be fine, but he's got some major injuries. Um, but I think he's going to be fine. And, uh, and I think our players are clinging to his recovery a little bit. If that should take a downward turn, I'm not so sure, you know, where this will all head. But I don't, I'm not really as worried about that as I was a week ago. Which is great. You know, it's a, it's a little ray of hope there that Brandon, you know, is pulling out of it and starting to do better. And, um, yeah. again, I, I wish for closure for everybody. Those are tough situations and, and probably something that most coaches have not had to go through, but you just never know. And this is a good resource for coaches. I've had coaching friends that have had, had, um, you know, players that have died. Um, and, and you're always reaching and grasping for something because you just don't know what to say in these situations and, and, and really just listening and being there for, for people is probably the best that you can do for them at that time. And everybody's going to grieve in their own way. And, 
Um, you know, hopefully you guys get some closure here at some point with it. Um, yeah. Hey, can you Thank talk, you, can you talk about the Miracle League and, and what it's meant to the program? Well, that's been a staple of ours for, I used to serve on board there for a number of years and it's special needs kids. So uh, in fact, Sean and Brandon, those guys are heavily involved. You know, we would sometimes take players up to their facilities about a half hour away from school, but every year we'd host them um, at Blair Hall and with all our players. And they, that's something our kids love and look forward to. A typical Miracle League game, they all bat, you know, and they all it's, you just have fun. And uh, you feel bad for those kids, but they all bat, and it usually lasts about an hour. Now, we get them at Blair Hall, we have them for two hours, and it's we could probably go longer. And it gives moms and dads a break, and we just put a smile on their face. As Sean and Zarek said, you know, spend every day putting a smile on somebody's face. Well, that's that was it. I tell our players, look at you know, if you have a bad day. They ever think you're having a bad day? Think of those kids, you know. But to them, they're not having a bad day. They're having a great day. And Nolan and Doc both participated, and that's something we'll continue. And community service is a very big part of of a program, I think. And uh, some do it just to pat themselves on the back. I mean, I, I'm 62 now, so my filter's a little different, you know, than it was at 32 or 42. But you know, some people are phony about it. You know, just to say they do it, but don't do it because you want to. And, and you know, and, and it's at the bottom of my email below my name. You know, you spend every day trying to do something for somebody else and and do it. Do it because you want to. We visit Leah Valley Health Network's uh, Children's Cancer Center. We do that. You know, read at schools, which is easy to do. Right now, it's not so much, but easy to do for everybody. And usually we won't say no to it, you know, if it's something that fits and but, you know, it, it, it generally, I mean, the kids coming back, you know, from the hospital, you just take like three or four at a time. I'll never forget it. You know, there there's people going through there. And if you're playing a game with them or, you know, talking to them, that's all those kids want. That's okay. And again, gives mom and dad a break for, for a little bit of time and knowing that, you know, their sons or daughters are in good hands. Doc and Nolan, are you guys adding anything in community service-wise where you're at? Yeah, so with, with the COVID stuff, we're not allowed to do a whole lot from a high school standpoint right now, but um, we did do like the local the leader opening day. Our guys went out in different shifts and helped with home run derby and tickets and umpired and, and that kind of stuff. But it's stuff that we do have on the docket moving forward. We just get kind of uh, put on hold right now, but definitely something we like to do. And just like dad said, our, the kids love it. You know, they love being around other kids and, and helping out and giving back. And, you know, the more they give back, the more they return are getting returned. So, you know, it's a great thing. Yeah, this has been different for us as well. We uh, we typically work every home event that we have on campus. So football, um, we run concessions 50-50 um, as well as sell tickets. So that's part of our community service. It gets us out involved with with our other university you know members and, and the community as well. And then we also... Uh, we'll plan to, we, did, we had contact with the uh, local elementaries to, to do the reading there as well uh, on, a, on a normal year. Uh, being a small community out here, it's great. And our guys do a really good job. The businesses are around us and, um, you know, they support us. So you know, that's the least we can do is give back to those people and, and the kids around it. Um, Got to get gotta get in touch with the local Little League, though. I don't know too much about it over there, but that's that was something we love to do. And you know, like no one said, and, and Dad said, the kids just love being around, and our guys do such a great job here on campus alone. So the more we can expand, the better. Nolan, back to you. Hey, 
for young coaches that are trying to navigate the coaching journey, what, what's some advice do you have for young coaches trying to get into this thing? Yeah, well, I think number one, I think everybody will agree is, you know, don't do it for the money. Um, you know, you find a way to get through and you find a way to, to make it work. Um, you know, my, my first job at Penn, I worked, uh, I was still living in Coopersburg, so about an hour drive. And, you know, I was running the rec center uh, from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. every morning. So leaving at four, getting the pen and trying to park and get up to the rec center. Uh, and then, you know, 11 to one, you're in the office or two, you're in the office and then you're on the field till six and then drive home, do lessons at night and, you know, go to bed at midnight and get up at four and do it again. Um, you know, and I know other guys, people have done a lot worse jobs than I had doing that, but, um, you know, do it for the love, do it for the passion and, and don't be afraid to take a risk and move. You know, um, I always tell people the two things, the biggest two things is don't do it for the money and don't look to be in the spot you want to be in from a location standpoint because there's hidden gems anywhere. And, um, you know, Doc actually told me the other day, he's like, I didn't even know where Clarion was until I met Anthony, you know, and we're from Pennsylvania. <laughs> so, you know, just, uh, you, you never know where's gonna, what's going to be out there. You never know what location you might end up, but you know, you, you make it home and you entrench yourself in that community and that school community. And, you know, it's the more networking you can do, the better. Um, you know, all of my positions I've held and spots I've been to go have all been because of, of the network I've been able, able to make. And, you know, I think we met 10 years ago doing a top 96 camp or whatever it was, you know, and that's, those are great things. And, you know, um, those networks are huge and to even to today it's hey you know you need a guy or place to uh, place a guy or you know i need a need a new assistant coach that'll call hey, who do you got and you know just being able to you know sink your teeth into those networks and keep expanding is, is huge so you know don't do it for the money be willing to move and you know network as much as possible doc you got anything to add on that I definitely had it worse than Nolan, but uh, it was something that I did love doing. I worked uh, in juvenile justice for a couple of years, so I was working night shift at a juvenile detention center, sometimes working a double, so 16 hours, and still going to games, or I'd have parents drive me from away games so I can get back to the campus to get my car to go home and sleep and for two, three hours, and then do it all over again the next day. But again, I, I did it because I loved it. You know, and we always talk about the grind. Um, and, and how that word is kind of overused sometimes. And I always tell dad, so people don't understand, you know, my grind. And that was when I was back doing that. But I love both jobs. You know, I love working with, with juveniles and I love, you know, obviously the baseball side of things. Um, but yeah, definitely don't do it for the money. Like, like Nolan said, I, I, uh, I left, you know, a really good job and opportunity uh, working, you know, with that and, and and, and my and my job and I left it for nothing, you know, to move to a small town that had no stoplights in South Carolina um, that no one ever heard about. Um, no one's ever heard of the school or anything. Um, you know, slept, slept on a futon in the corner of a house and in a small bedroom. And, you know, but I did it because I knew I had to to make myself better. And, um, you know, I learned stuff down there. I learned things that, you know, didn't fit my personality or the way that I like to coach. I learned things that did. Um, so, but you make those connections, you know, some of the guys I coached with now are on the bigger and better schools and, I, you know, that's great for those guys. And like I said, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be in the position I would be today. You know, I would never have met Coach Williams uh, working at camp over the summer and he never would have given me this opportunity to be an assistant and come to Clarion. So, you know, you got to do it for the love of the game, you know, not just like no one said for the money or anything like that, because it's, 
sometimes it ain't there. People expect higher things. And, you know, if you truly love this game and you truly want to give back, you know, from, from your experiences, you'll, you'll do whatever you need to do. Tim, you got anything to add on that? I think they hit, hit on almost yeah, they everything. Did. That's tremendous. Don't, don't, no, no money. No yeah, I, I mean, I think about the amount of jobs I had over the years just trying to make ends meet. I slept in my office one year just trying to, to make it work, but, like, it, it all adds into it. Like, I would go back and do all of it the exact same that I did. It, all the other things, the, the other jobs that you do, it just adds to you as a human being and your journey. And I think it allows you to add a different perspective to your players, too. I think you can bring a, a completely different perspective because of sacrifices that you've made. And I think your players see that and appreciate it and know know your journey and know your story a little bit, too. I think it makes you a little bit more human uh, to your players at times also. Tim, what other hip tips do you have for parents that are trying to navigate coaching their kids? Um, you know... I think if you, again, I mentioned it earlier, if you can compartmentalize it a little bit, I think it helps. Um, the, the ride home, you know, we all talk about the ride home. I, I would be careful not to criticize. Certainly I wouldn't criticize whoever it is. Uh, you're playing for your dad and stuff there. But if you, if, this, if your son's like mine, playing for somebody else, don't criticize some things. But definitely I would not critique on the way home. Try to separate a little bit. Um, it's not easy. It, it, it's not easy. And try to be fair. My, and again, most of this, my father coached Little League forever and ever, and then American Legion and some other things. And I remember being a Little League player playing for him, and he says, well, you're not going to play today. And I'm like, what? what do you mean? I'm not going to play. I'm 12 years old. You know, I hit home runs. Says, what do you mean? He goes, no, nah, you got to treat you just like everybody else. It's your time to sit. You know, i never forget that. And that happened. And you know what? I, at 12 years old, I didn't realize the lesson I was learning, but he was so inclusive of everybody else. Um, patience, you know, be patient. Um, you know, love the game because, and it's hard. I credit Tim, I have to every volunteer from Little League all the way through college and anywhere else. That's not easy. You really truly love it. But some, some dads in Little League and youth sports kind of get plugged in because nobody else will do it. So you have to find your own way, inner self there that, to, to rise above, you know, maybe you don't like the game or whatever as much, but the kids read through all that stuff. So they will, I mean, it's the old saying, kids reflect the coach, you know, and how they, that's so true. I mean, that's so true. And, um, but I think be patient. I was careful not to talk um, badly on the ride home or, you know, that sort of thing, even to your own son, try to, try to be positive about it, but that's hard. Expectations. These guys talked about earlier. You know, they, they're a lot different for your own son than they are for other kids, but you need to find a way to keep that a little bit separate if you can. No, I'm back to you. What have been the best resources to help you coaching-wise? You know, obviously, I mean, the ABCA clinics were awesome. I mean, as soon as I was able to start going there and, and learning there, those have been huge assets for me. Um you know, for me in different time when, you know, there was top 96 was around and be able to talk to you and everybody else that I met in my 10 years doing that was, was tremendous. Um, you know, those, those nighttime talks and at dinner and hotels and, um, you know, being on the road recruiting and talking to guys at night and, and everything that's involved with the recruiting, the camp working atmosphere is, those are just, those are experiences you can't, 
you know, get, get back if you miss them. Um, you know, so be open to those, be open to being, uh, be open to being, you know, in those conversations, don't be a guy who just wants to sit in his room and watch TV when camp's over. Like, just go listen, you know, go talk, go experience anything you can do. Um, local coaches clinics are great. We've run a lot of them, um, been to a lot of them. You know, you're always going to learn. You're always going to find something, you know, um, you know, having the, the stuff that you put out and that other guys, other coaches put out now, just drill work or, you know, motivational stuff is huge and stuff that you can always find a golden nugget somewhere and, and pass on to your players or, you know, your network of people that you're with. So, I mean, those assets are, are huge. You know, reading a lot. Um, I'm not a huge reader, but I like reading books, and, you know, leadership books, business books, stuff like that, because it all relates to running a program to recruiting, to fundraising, to sales, you know, everything that you do as a coach, you know, it's not just a baseball thing. The more that the world is starting to realize that you don't just coach baseball on the field for two hours a day. And it's a, you're a CEO as a head coach, you're a, you know, you're a VP as a recruiting coordinator, you're in charge. Like that's those lessons that are being learned, you know, don't just relate to baseball, but in life as well. Doc, what are your best resources? A lot of the same stuff. Um, I got a notebook full of notes, and I think, you know, COVID really this year, you know, with all the podcasts that were put out and the Zoom calls and everything like that, um, you can never stop learning, you know, and it, you're always learning. And, you know, again, that's what's great about the three of us is we're all different. Um, you know, technology has been huge now in, in, in this game, and it's something that we see a little bit more here at our level, And but I'm, it doesn't really fit me either, though. So, it, but I, I still need to learn it. And, you know, I think that's something that's always good to, to continue to build on it and just learn the game itself and, and move, move forward with it and, and try to make things our own. Um, but, you know, kind of like Nolan said, it's just the, the resources, the, the people you meet, the friendships you make. Um, I can always pick up a phone and call someone if I, if I can't figure it out or if I don't have an idea. Uh, we can call guys that we know and, and will help us out. And I think that's awesome. Um, I like to read. So I read a lot of books, um, you know, kind of like Nolan, like on the mentor side stuff and the leadership, because I think that helps us grow. And that's something that, you know, being a younger coach myself, it, it really helps me get to my, the next level. And sometimes it just, it gets me back to, we say act medium here, get back to medium. So if your highs are high, you know, you can't live there because, um, you're going to continue to press and, and be excited. You got to get back to medium. And if you're at your low, it happens. It's part of baseball, but get back to medium. And I think as coaches, we can do the same kind of thing. So I always try to read it because it gets me back to that medium level where I can, you know, look at the, the bigger picture sometimes. Do you have a favorite leadership book? Right now I'm reading a mentor leader by Tony Dungy and it's outstanding. Um, but I read, a, I've read a lot. I try to read one a month. It doesn't always work because of baseball and getting caught up in the long days, but um, that one's really, really good. And uh, lead for God's sake is one I would highly recommend for people and an outstanding story and uh, really puts, you know, coaching, you know, in perspective from a, a, a highly, you know, uh, class uh, I believe he's a high school basketball coach in Kentucky or Tennessee, I forget, uh, and kind of changed his his coaching strategies and, you know, how to find that way back again through some through some leadership and just really, really good book. So, Nolan, do you uh, have a favorite business or leadership book? Yeah, um, big fan of Covey's Seven Habits. Um, make our team read it every year and we do, you know, presentations on it. Um, you know, we're actually reading Heads Up Baseball right now by, you know, Ken, just because. The Bibles, I, I mean, that, yeah. that mental aspects. And the, the staples. Yeah. You know, just staples. Um, 
you know, there's a couple of them. I mean, good to great's always good. Um, anything, you know, uh, that intangibles I really liked, um, that was a good one too. So, you know, there's so many out there and it's just a matter of trying to decipher through them and, and be able to sit down and actually get it out of what you need to. Um, but they're all, they're all great. I mean, anything's better than nothing for sure. Tim, what are your, what are your go-to resources? Well, I mean, it's this, this day and age, part of my career, I just, you know, I think other people, you know, that have reached out and, and uh, people I can go to. I, I used to be a, a avid reader too for a long time, but I have not read as much as, as I have lately. And ironically, I don't read many baseball books. I mean, it just seems like I need to get away from, from that and go towards, uh, you know, other things. But business books and leadership, same kind of stuff. These guys are are reading. There's an, a, kind of an obscure book called The Oz Principle. It talks about a, accountability, um, you know, taking ownership. I would highly recommend that. Probably can get it on Amazon or something for a dollar these days. You know, if you want a really, really deep down baseball book, a guy that was ahead of his time, Sid Thrift wrote a book, The Game According to Sid, right? And no one knows Jim, and I think Doc does a little bit. I, some of my players are playing for his son, Jim, in Sarasota this summer. But, you know, you, you better have a few aspirin with you as well, some Tylenol, because, I mean, to try to, to try to understand what is going on, I mean, you got to take, take a hard look. But the guy was so far ahead of his time that, you know, the Royals Baseball Academy and stuff. So that was one baseball book I thought, boy, that was intriguing. Um, but, you know, other than that, I mean – I mean, I'll go to a book. I mean, and I, I think at this point in my life, I've, uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out what might be next, if there is a next. And I love the sales terribly. Um, and I don't know what else I would do. Um, and I'm a quick touch on four things in your life you've got to have, you know, and I didn't make this up. I mean, I got this from somebody else, you know, somebody to love. All right. Something to look forward to. Something, somebody to believe, something to believe in and something to do. Those four things, and if one of those things goes away, you've got to replace it immediately. So if I don't stay at the sales for another five, 10 years, whatever, what else, what is that something to look forward to, something to do going to be? Because I think that could really be a factor, and I think it's a factor in mental health, physical health, and everything else. I kind of and longevity. You look yes. at, at longevity, long lives, they all continue to work. They all have a purpose and in, in something and, and continue to do something. My mom's retired and they're moving to Florida, but she already has a job lined up working for a, a rental company. She's going to check houses down in Pensacola and she doesn't need to work, but that's what she is. Like she's going to live do. a long life because she's going to keep doing something. Something to do. I think that's, I keep that in mind all the time. My father passed away from Lewy body disease about seven years ago. And his something to do and something, and he had retired, you know, and his something to do and something to look forward to for watching his two grandsons play baseball at the sales. And that eventually went away. I'm not saying it contributed to his condition, but, you know, I remember buying him a calendar and filling in looked at, just put in some things that are coming up for you, you know. And again, I, I think it can help, um, but that's a fear for me, you know, and uh, I just want to be able to have all four of those things in place. Nolan, back to you. Any morning or evening routines? I love asking about routines. Do you have any routines that you feel like really help you? High-stress jobs, coaching's tough, you're, a lot of hours, anything that you do that you feel like really helps? Yeah, mornings are hectic with uh, you know our three little ones, so that's uh, that's always crazy. And um, 
you know, but we get up and, you know, get them ready. And I take all three to school. So that for me, that's, that's great. And then, you know, about eight 30 to 10 before we open here, the Academy is kind of, you know, my quiet time where I can sit down and get work done, get emails back done, um, you know, prepare for my day on the field later on. And then, you know, once we open to about two o'clock, it's, you know, gung ho here. And then, um, you know, two till six ish or whatever is on the field and getting our, our routine done there, obviously, you know, baseball wise. And then usually coming back to work after that till about nine o'clock at night and then, you know, get home and get the kids to bed and, um, you know, have some time to talk to, to Melissa and kind of de decompress from the day and, and kind of go from there. But it's, uh, you know, late nights, early mornings, but, you know, wouldn't trade it for the world. And, um, you know, without all that stuff going on, I mean, routines were always, you know, I like to be there early. You know, it was always a joke, to, you know, with my wife was, you know, no one beat the sun up today and it was always in the house before the sun got up. And I'm not like that anymore. <laughs> um, less stuff going on, but you know, the more that, uh, you can get up early and get things done. I think, you know, the majority of your day is done by, you know, one, two o'clock and, you know, on the business side as well, it's, you know, the majority of stuff you get done is right before lunch, if not after lunch. And, you know, then you kind of rest the day to decompress a little bit. So, you know, get up, get it done and then move on. You know, one, um, you know, one thing I always tell our kids about is, you know, you get up in the morning, first thing you do, make your bed, man. You know, you make your bed and, you know, just like that, uh, the video that's, that's circulating all over the place, you get to come home to a clean bed. You know, and just those little things help your mentality throughout the day of knowing that you got that task accomplished and you're going to come home to something nice when you get back there, you know. So really, other than that, it's just little things here and there. But, um, you know, hectic as life, as you know, with, with the kiddos is, is crazy. And uh, especially mine are, you know, mine are 14 months and five and seven. So <laughs> it's uh, it's even crazier. But, uh, you know, they're great and they're awesome kids and they're doing a great job and you know, it's not easy being a, a coach's family and coach's wife for sure. And, you know, the more that they uh, embrace themselves and the more they entrench themselves and everything, the better it, it is for all of us. So it's great. Doc, you got any hacks? Ooh, I'm up early. I don't <laughs> sleep much. But uh, no, definitely. We, we had our guys actually read that make the bed book. So first thing I do is, is make my bed. And uh, that's my first task of the day that I complete. And then I go about my day and um, you know, being out where we are, uh, especially in the wintertime, uh, we're in the Bible or the, uh, the snow belt, I should say. And uh, we, we can never dictate our weather out here. So we try to get a lot of our practices done, our lifts in early in the morning, uh, which I like. It gets, our, it gets our guys up. It gets them moving around. doesn't allow them to be lazy. Um, but this morning, uh, we hit at 7 o'clock this morning to – so 8.30 and then got our COVID test done. And, you know, now I'm in the office getting ready for our practice out and our, on our field and turf field later this afternoon. But um, once again, the office, uh, you know, I'm a, I read a devotional every day and that's just something that I do. And it, and it gets me to, you know, kind of, again, get something done every single day that I know I can look forward to and I have to accomplish. And, um, you know, from there, it's just, you know, get myself ready and, uh, um, being a limited staff we have here at Clarion, I, I, I unfortunately have a lot of the grunt work behind the do, you know, as far as scouting reports and sending out the emails for our guys missing class and getting our administration uh, paperwork. So um, my days are usually pretty full. And uh, but I also knew, know I need to find that downtime for myself that, you know, I can I can decompress, like Nolan said. And, and for me, that's reading. You know, when I do get home at night, I like to read. Um, I'm also a big uh, card collector. Uh, so I like to, you know, hang out with my cards and, you know, I do some stuff with those and 
um, you know, that's just my time. That's things that I enjoy doing. And obviously getting to talk to these guys and follow their, their seasons when, when they're playing and, you know, follow my buddy's seasons as well. But, um, you know, that's, that's what I like to do. And that's kind of how I, I go about my day. And, you know, you just find those times that you, you have for yourself, but the best part of my day is going out to practice with my group. So I absolutely love those guys. And uh, if you're having a bad day, it's, it's just going out there. They're usually there to cheer you up and, and make you, make you smile a little bit. Tim, any routines for you? <laughs> I was afraid of that question. Um, unlike these two, I am not a morning guy. So when this 9 a.m. Uh, podcast uh, was scheduled, I'm like, I'm a lot better at 9 p.m. than I am at 9 a.m. <laughs> and the 8 a.m. Uh, performance at uh, in Greensboro, you know, I was like, okay. But uh, not, not much. I mean, we have three dogs, my wife and I, Roseanne, and usually on nice days we'll take them for a walk. All Huskies, all with Yankees names. So we've got 10-year-old Zimmer. We've got six-year-old Pip, Mr. Wally Pip. Yeah, hard to find girls' names for Yankees. And then a one-year-old Munson. So we'll take them for, for walks. And then I'll drink some chocolate milk, wander over to DeSales 11-ish, um, <laughs> maybe later some days. I'll be there till eight or nine some days, you know, just much more functional that part of the day. And I sleep good at night. So I don't have a whole lot. And Doc makes a good point. And all the same. The team is your oasis, you know, being with your team for two or three hours or whatever time frame it's going to be. It's an oasis. That seems like everything else has gone away. And you've got all these people that are depending on you that, you know, you enjoy being around. So uh, that that's probably, you know, the routine and it goes pretty much every day. Yeah, that's interesting with the research because some people are night owls and some people are early birds. Like it's not, you know, everybody has their set routine that works better for them physically and mentally because everybody's born different. So it's like part of finding out who you are as a person is, are you a night person or are you a morning person and, and what's going to work best for you? And, and uh, real, real quick, I wouldn't say I'm a night owl either. <laughs> it's that middle, you know, 12 to nine ish, you know, pretty good. Then after that it starts to bounce, it's downturn a little bit. All right. <laughs> Nolan, back to you. Last question here. Final thoughts or favorite memory that you have of your guys time together. Um, wow. Um, I mean, probably the biggest one, well, two for me, um, for me and dad, one, obviously when we, we won the regional go to the world series, no three, just knowing, you know, where, where that program started in in 90, when he took over to where we were in in no three now and, you know, top stage and and being what everything was, was working for. Um, so that was really cool. Uh, to be able to you know, give him that and be a part of that with him was, was huge. And then, um, you know, probably the night that, uh, you know, I got to play, um, that I was uh, called to go play professional baseball, you know, and uh, giving him that phone call was huge, you know, and uh, just making the, you know, that lifelong dream was, was there and being able to share it with him. Doc. I don't know. I don't have any. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think, um, you know, very similar to Nolan. Nolan was actually with me uh, the day I signed. I'm out in Washington in the Frontier League, which was very special. And then obviously getting to call dad and tell him that I did that was the dream come true. Um, but I, I don't know. Uh, you know, playing-wise, 
you know, there's so many bigger things in, in life and, you know, just playing the game with, with, with dad there and, and having Nolan around for a couple of years. I think this, those are all special. You know, I don't think there's one day that really sticks out. I mean, we had a chance to win a conference championship my sophomore year, which was great. You know, obviously, um, you know, Nolan got to go to the, the higher stage, but, you know, knowing that and just, and doing the, playing the game the right way, playing the game that we knew how to um, and all those things. I think that just in general, you know, is, oh, I'm sorry, my phone's ringing. Um, no one ever calls my, my office phone, so I apologize. That's all right. Um, I don't even know the number. Yeah, I don't even know what the number is. Um, but, uh, you know, just spend every day with, with those guys and with dad, you know, on the field. And it, that's, that to me is, is, is the probably the best thing. And, and knowing that, you know, I had a chance to play college baseball for one and, and play at a, at a high level, you know, with, with one of the best coaches out there is great. And that's, you know, that's something that we preach to our guys and kind of going back, you know, to obviously everything that happened over the last couple of weeks with their program, you know, that hit home to me too, because I coached those kids. Um, you know, Nick was a kid that I coached for four years and Sean, I helped recruit being a catcher. So, you know, that really hit home to me. And, you know, it was one of those things I had to go and tell my program, you know, they're seeing all this information out there that I'm posting and, and I have to go and tell my program why, this is affecting us, you know, and how this family environment uh, is bigger than us here at Clarion. It's not just, um, you know, yeah, it affects the sales, but it also affects us too, because I was a part of that. I was a part of those kids' lives. Um, you know, and that's something that we continue to do out here and preach that it's it's bigger than baseball. There's more to life than baseball. You know, don't take this for granted. And that's something that we learn through dad. Um, you know, that's something that I hope that I can instill in, and these kids out here, um, like he said, they come in as 17, 18 year old, you know, young teenagers, boys, and they leave as, you know, adults, 23, 24 year old grown men. And, you know, I'm, I'm not far off from where they are. I'm only 33. But the more I can give these guys the life lessons that they have, uh, the better it is. And, you know, we're going to continue to do that thing here. Um, and we're going to continue to kill, live, the, live those kids legacies out here through Clarion. And we're going to have a, a bulldog strong Saturday on 410 which I don't think dad knows about yet. So Tim, by the way, you need to write a book because you, you did it right with, with these two, with their passion for the game and life. And, uh, it's phenomenal. So what do you finish this off here? I will. I, I, there's so many memories that I, you know, I mean, it's, it's your lifelong. We make memories every day. I'm so proud of these two. They're amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, um, you just enjoy the game. Treat people right. Be a good person. These are not hard things to do. They're really not. The success. We don't talk about winning at the sales. They don't talk about winning. Those are byproducts of doing things right and, and just being good people. Um, but there's so many memories that I can't really pinpoint one. And for guys that are out there coaching their kids, you know, if you ever need to talk about it, I'd be happy to. All the ABC people, NBC is unbelievable. I'd be happy to, to talk to you about it. I don't have all the answers. It's like this recent tragedy, but at least I can share some experiences and and just enjoy your kids, you know, enjoy it and try to separate it. It's like, you know, they're trying to take work home with you. I used to work in a factory when I was young. You know, man, baseball was an outlet. It was awesome. And uh, I think that can be the same way if you're coaching your kids. And, you know, just be compassionate and patient. Be very patient. Something you learn as you get older. I mean, when age comes wisdom, there's no question about that. So, I mean, while I was 30 years ago and I am today, 
I'm two different people. There's no doubt about it. But along the way, those same principles and morals and ethics have stuck with me forever and thankfully have, have reached out into these two guys. Appreciate it, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks again to the Nyman family. This episode brought out a lot of reminders for me on what is truly important. This was an emotional episode for me seeing their passion for baseball on the program and their love for each other. I want to extend a sorry for your loss to the entire DeSales University and baseball program family. It's hard to know what to say in times like these, and sometimes the best thing to do is just listen and be there for someone. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, Matt West, and the ABC office for all the help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter at CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram at RyanBrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.